You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we have come as far really as verse 3. Let's read down. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of the Lord, the, the tribulation, has begun. It's at hand and is present and has begun. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I kept telling you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. I'm reading King James. Only he who now letteth, same word as withholdeth, only he that now withholdeth will withhold until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8, the first two words important. And then shall that wicked one be revealed. So the scripture tells us, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Isaiah, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and some of the epistles of Paul, the book of Revelation, that there is one coming in the last days that will present himself to the world as the answer to the world's Problems. No doubt it will be in time of great political upheaval. That's when people come to the fore, whether it be Napoleon or Mussolini or whether it be Hitler or whoever it might be. And no doubt in every age, Satan has been ready if the opportunity presented itself to install his Antichrist. That is the name that the church most often knows this one who will come forth as the Antichrist. Actually, it's in 1 John is the only place that that particular name is used. He's the king of fierce countenance. He's the prince that will come. He's the son of perdition. He's the beast. He's the seed of the woman. You go through the scripture, there are over 30 names given to him. 
And uh, he is, in personality, one of the most spoken of personages through the Bible, Old and New Testament. And when he comes, he is the wicked one. He is the son of perdition, the son of destruction. The evil that will accompany him has not even been dreamt of. Hitler, no match. Stalin, not even close. Marx, a schoolboy compared to this person that that will come. No doubt, and will take more time next week, presenting himself as the answer to the world's problems. He no doubt will be handsome and witty and whimsome and brilliant and speak a multitude of languages. He will have the answers economically, militarily, ecologically to the world's problems. He will come on the scene as the one that everybody's willing to open their minds and hearts to, and it will be on the, on the heels of great upheavals. We will look at that. Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, and I believe we're hearing it here this morning, that we should not be deceived. No man should be able to deceive us because he says the great tribulation, the day of the Lord is not going to come. And he says, except there be two things. One is not a falling away. It's, there's a definite article, the falling away. And it's apostasia there. Your translation might say apostasy. There will be the apostasy. And he says, and that man of sin will be revealed. Apocalypse, like like Jesus, he'll, he'll be revealed, unveiled. And he is the son of destruction. So the two things that will be marking the beginning of this 70th week of Daniel will be the unveiling of the Antichrist, and it will be in a time of great apostasy. Now, there are two ways to look at that, this apostasy. One is, and there are those, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that next week, some see it as the rapture, the departure, apo. Uh, away from, stasis, standing, the standing away from, the departure, which fits nicely with my personal theology. I don't think that the man of sin and the tribulation can begin until the church is gone. It isn't just a position to be mocked at or to be made fun of because there are reasonable numbers of proficient scholars that see it that way. Uh, I think that it is probably speaking of a falling away from the faith, both doctrinally, and it's always doctrinally and morally. Bad belief produces bad behavior. There's no way to separate those things. And this speaks of the great apostasy. We do know that the church has to be removed before he's revealed, and we'll look at that in verse 7. So, Either way, that premise is true. Uh, But it's speaking of here, you know, we, we need to look around and ask, are we at the point of the apostasy? There's always been apostasy through the history of the church. 
that has always been remedied by another Pentecost and another moving of God's Holy Spirit and people being raised up to speak the Word of God with power and the church being drawn back to what is right and unworldly and otherworldly. That has always happened through church history. But there will come a point when the apostasy comes, when this falling away takes a full form, and at that point the church is removed, and there is no more reviving the way the church has known it through its history. I don't know if we are at that point now. We live in a culture and a time with the means to make this known everywhere between media television, radio, mobile devices, things that no other generation have ever had, these kinds of things easily certainly spread. We live in an age of atheism and the atheists screaming that those who believe anything have no right to say what they're saying or infringe on their right to believe in nothing. We live in an age of communism, of humanism, uh, of of every ism that you can imagine is uh, Mohammedism and all of the isms that spread around the planet. Oriental religion spreading in our schools uh, with the media, pornography, sexting. These are things that no generation before us would have even thought of. Bible reading and prayer banned from public schools and from the public. Evolution taught as science and God thrown out as creator. Churches dying, 1,500 churches closing their doors a month in the United States. A push towards liberalism to be culturally relevant, which becomes the new God that everybody wants to bow their knee to. And the church and its power... And its mission has never been benefited by, again, liberality or liberalism that has always moved away from the issue of power and of the Holy Spirit and of the Word of God. The church has only been empowered by coming back to the vertical and not becoming culturally relevant to the horizontal. I personally do not have any desire to be a man that people look at and say, he's cool, he's slick, he really fits in. I'd rather have people say either he is really a weirdo, he lives in another world, or say, I can see. He might be unlearned and ignorant, but he's been with Jesus. And you can tell that when you're around him. That's what I, the label I'd rather have stuck on me. We see abortion to a rate we never dreamed of around us. We see permissiveness being the God of this present generation. Everything goes, everything's fine, nothing's wrong, it's all relative. And, and in America, we, we're kind of desensitized to it because we, we come, we, we do what we do, we go... One old Puritan I read said, when the church becomes like that, are we going to give the next generation? Are we giving our children and our grandchildren stones when they're asking for bread? Are we giving our children and our grandchildren a serpent when they're asking for a fish? 
Are we giving them a scorpion when they're asking for an egg? Or are we a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit? Have we gone to the Father? Have we believed the words of Jesus when he said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We are in an age of apostasy. And either God will cure that with one more great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or he will take us out of here. Either way, that's fine with me. I would rather see friends and relatives and people that I know gathered in than I have a selfish desire to get out of here. But I would rather see that take place. It says the apostasy. That word means a deliberate abandonment of a position that was held. It means a defection. And so much of the church is doing that. It is the apostasy, the rebellion, the falling away, whatever your translation is. And again, in the New Testament, always relative to false doctrine and false behavior. There is no doubt that these things will come. First Timothy says, now the spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times, there's no other generation of the church that's ever lived that would be in a more desperate position to try to exclude themselves from that phrase. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, things from the dark side, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared as with a hot iron, able to do things without any conviction, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from certain foods which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. Every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it be received with prayer. It is sanctified through the word of God in prayer. It just says, you know, there's going to be a false asceticism. There's going to be a false, false set of values brought in. There's going to be lying and hypocrisy. Conscience is seared, forbidding things that the scripture never bid. Second Timothy tells us this. This know also that in the last days, again, no other generation could excuse themselves from that phrase, Uh, and whatever excuse they had, we have none. Know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Difficult times, hard times. The reason for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, that's another word for love. Money lovers, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents, that would never happen, would it? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. The idea there is, the idea is without family love. Truce breakers, accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. They have just no love for that which is good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, 
Here's what they love. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. Yeah, we go to church. Yeah, we're a Christian. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, and it's emphatic, from such you must continually turn away. He says, in the last days, people are going to be so given to self-centeredness. It's the age we live in. To pleasure, to loving money. No love for family or marriage or things that are sacred anymore. No love for anything that's good. Loving pleasure, loving themselves to the point where that takes precedent more than they love God. And it says they're going to hold a form of religion. They're going to want to do that, but they're going to deny the power. The power is the cross of Christ. The power is a life-changing experience with the risen Savior through the power of his blood on the cross that emancipates us and sets us free. There's all kinds of people that want to say, I'm Christian, I go to church, I do this, I do that, and they want to be in some kind of comfortable club. Oh, we're cool with God. And we can live whatever lifestyle we want. We can, because bad doctrine produces bad behavior, we can do whatever we want. And God cares about those people. So he gives this warning. And he says the hard thing is it's going to be holding a form of religion but denying the life-changing power and the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. Ask yourselves, are we at that place? Are we there? Are we finding ourselves close to those days? James, the Lord's half-brother, says it differently, not exactly the same. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that are come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields which is of you kept back, the poor are being taken advantage of in regards to the last days. You've kept back by fraud, they crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of harvest, the Lord Sabaoth. The Lord sees all the injustice going on. He sees all the unfortunate that are taken care of, that doesn't miss his eye. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. He goes on to say, so again, this is what he says about the last days. Peter tells us this in regards to the last days. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who secretly shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Redemption. Not preaching the gospel. I was talking to Tommy Ice on the phone two weeks ago. We were talking about the word faith movement. He said, Joe, that's not even the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not the gospel that was once committed to the saints. It is not the faith that Jesus Christ wants to find when he returns to the earth. There's no repentance. There's no sin. There's no blood. There's no cross. There's no redemption. It says here they're even going to deny the Lord 
that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They're going to be in your pocket. They're going to be in your wallet whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not. Their damnation slumbereth not. First John mentions Jude, the whole book, really. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jews said apostasy looks like this. It's, it's when there are those in the church who turn God's grace into lasciviousness, a wanton, immoral lifestyle, doing whatever they want and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, you know, doctrinally and, and in bad doctrine, bad behavior, it's all off. And, of course, Revelation, you, ha- you have Pergamos, you have Thyatira, you have the warnings uh, that come to us. You look at all of these things, I think we have to say, look, we are in an age of apostasy. How defined will that become? Are we willing to be, and as the scripture says, the minority? Narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go thereon. If you're going to stand for Christ in these days... These days of apostasy, these days, is the Antichrist alive somewhere? It says he's going to be revealed. The the verses continually intimate that he will be alive, he will be somewhere until his unveiling takes place. I don't know if he is. He may be. Has the apostasy begun? I don't know. Or is just this another season of cooling in the church that God, in his grace will address with one more outpouring of his Holy Spirit, one more great revival. He doesn't know that to us. I'm not sure the Bible says that anywhere. But because of his love, because of his mercy, I also don't want to be in a position where I don't look for that and pray for that and expect that. But I know this. I know this. And maybe I only know it for myself. I know this. Now is the time. Unlike any other time in the church. Now is the time. If we care about one another, if we care about our children, if we care about our grandchildren, now is the time. Not tomorrow, not next week. The church is being cooled. Things are blowing through the church that are ruining it. Too many are comfortable sitting with that, playing with it. I can live however I want. I can, you know, mess with pornography. I can be sexting my friends. I don't want to hear that old church stuff. You know, things are blowing through the church that are destructive. Is this man of sin somewhere? And when he comes, he's going to startle the world. 
all of this is not going to be a Sunday morning sermon. It's not going to be just, you know, an intellectual exercise. It's something that's going to come on the world and shock the world like 911 did here in America. And I know if you and I are looking at the days that we're living in and we're looking at what's going on around us, we have to have that conviction that now is the time. The slack we may have cut ourselves in the last 10 years is no good anymore now. And I believe in God's grace, and I know that's why I'm saved. But what are the things in our lives that are not productive? That are not giving evidence that we believe that our Savior could come at any moment? Now is the time. I look at my wife, my children, their spouses, my grandchildren. I look at you. I look at this nation, and I just have this great sense, now is the time. Lord, what are you going to do? Are you going to blow the trumpet? Is it now? Is it close and take us out of here? Or are you going to pour out your Holy Spirit? But now is the time. Now is the time for us to be more grounded than we've ever been in His Word. To be more yielded to His Spirit than we've ever been before. Now is the time. If we're going to head into persecution, those things are necessary. Now is the time. Not tomorrow. Today. Now. It's time. How serious are we about our relationship with Jesus Christ? How serious are we about his word speaking these things to us about the days that we live in? How serious are we about the presence of his Holy Spirit and yielding to his Holy Spirit promptly when he's saying to us, no, don't do that, or go this way, or speak to this person, or get up a little earlier. The convictions in our heart. Now is the time to take hold of those things and to yield to them and to live in them. I believe that with all of my heart. There's a terrible day coming on the world that the world hasn't even dreamed of. It's not going to come until there is a falling away that marks the beginning of it. How can we think that we may not be there? Just look around. Christianity Today, the magazine, just had an article about a church that's in a bunch of microbreweries in Portland. And how important it is for them to be drinking so they can be relative to the culture that lives around them. The article even said, if you don't drink, you're going to stumble people. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Portland doesn't need a drunk church. It needs a church filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't be drunk with wine. We're in a success, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. you got to be kidding me. This is what the church needs, and this is what the world needs. We need to be cool and culturally relevant and half-pickled. And then the world will say, gee, I want to join that. When the presence of God filled the temple at Solomon's dedication, the priest couldn't even enter. The, the glory of the Lord was shining out the door. People fell down. The church is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth in any community. And the light should be shining out the door. 
And the darker it gets, the brighter we should shine, not the duller and the more gray we should become. Let nobody deceive you by any means. That day is not going to come except there come the apostasy, the falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, unveiled. He'll be there. He'll be alive. And then at some point, it's going to come, he's going to come into the open, the son of perdition, of destruction. Only Judas was called that, the only other person in the New Testament. Those were the only two interesting, as you watch, that Satan actually entered into. It says Satan entered into Judas, and we know this Antichrist, Jesus, when he came uh, into the wilderness of Judea and was driven there by the Spirit, Satan came and tempted him and said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world, all of the glory, all of the power of them, for they are given to me, and to whomsoever I will, I will give them. Jesus said, get thee behind me. But Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. You haven't received me. Another's going to come in his own name. You will receive him. He told Israel, they're going to, in Isaiah, they're going to make a covenant with hell and death. There is one who is going to receive all of the power and all of the glory from Satan. Revelation 13 tells us about this Antichrist, this beast. He's going to receive all of that. It tells us several things. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. We'll talk more about this. Not just Christianity, not just Judaism, any religion in the world, Islam, Buddhism, anything. He's going to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worship. He's going to come to the point there will be no worship allowed on the planet. All will be forbidden except the worship of him. So that he, as God, sitteth in, we'll talk about this next week, the temple of God, the naos, the holy place. And in Paul's writing, it could only be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem is the only term that Paul would use there, showing himself that he is God. And he says, don't you remember when I was with you, I told these things to you. Now, you know, he says, what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work. We should know that every time we turn on the news. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth, old King James word, look, it's the same exact word as withhold in verse 6. That withholding is a restraining. That's where we get the idea of the restrainer. So let's read 6 and 7. And now you know what restraineth, that he, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. There's a timing involved with this. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now restraineth, same word as withholdeth in verse 6, will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Here's what we're looking for in verse 8. And then that wicked one shall be revealed. Important verses. Who is this one who is restraining? Who can restrain? Who could restrain Satan and the power of darkness? Certainly it's not a man. It can't be human. Some tried to say it was Rome. Some tried to say that it was Caesar. What it's saying is there's a mystery of this lawlessness is going to come into the open. 
And when it comes in the open, it's going to be because of the one who's restraining will stop his restraining work. The struggle is this. In verse 6, not a struggle for you, not a struggle for me. I don't know why people struggle with it. In verse 6, it says, and now you know what withholdeth, that's in the neuter. Whatever what withholdeth is, is spoken of in the neuter gender there. That he, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. You know that there's something restraining him. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only now we're in the masculine gender. He who now, same word, withholdeth or restraineth, will restrain until, and the, the sense of the Greek is, until he ceases his restraining. He's not taken out of the way. He re- willingly removes himself in regards to that restraining work. Now, Genesis chapter 6 wickedness coming on the world and God says my spirit shall not always strive with man Job chapter 1 Satan moving to and fro so he's got to ask only God can restrain Satan Isaiah 59 verse 19 speaks about when wickedness comes in like a flood the Lord there says my spirit will be what stands in opposition to that certainly my conviction, you can have your own, there isn't anything, and it moves to the personal gender here, masculine, there isn't anything in the New Testament that is called both it and him that can restrain Satan, the evil one, but the Holy Spirit himself. John tells us this, he has been with you, Jesus says, but he shall be in you, even the Spirit of truth. And Jesus says when the Holy Spirit moves into the believer, he says he shall abide with you forever. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was worried about that. You and I in the New Testament under a better covenant, when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when regeneration takes place, it says that spirit never departs. For the spirit to be removed from the earth in his restraining work, restraining the Antichrist, this great apostasy and all of these things from breaking forth in full form, clearly indicates the rapture of the church. If the Spirit is indwelling us and he will abide in us forever, never leave us or forsake us, The only way he can be removed and taken out of the way, removing himself in his restraining work, is if the church is removed. What happened on Pentecost is reversed. There the church was born, a supernatural, spirit-filled, divine entity with an otherworldly origin. The power of God, supernatural, the church light and salt in this present world. Always through history, it's been revival in the church that has turned the tide of apostasy when it's come. And for the Holy Spirit to be removed from the face of the earth in his restraining work clearly indicates the removal of the church as light and salt in this present world, verse 8 says, and then. 
that wicked one shall be revealed. Again, don't spend your time looking for the Antichrist. Look for Jesus Christ. If you find out who the Antichrist is, the rest of us won't be here. We don't care. You know, don't look around for us to tell us. We'll be gone. These things are tightening on us. There is now more of a prophetic tension than the church has ever known. What is between us on this day, the 13th of September 2015, and the fulfillment of these things is a shorter distance than the church has ever known. And there is a greater prophetic tension in the lives of of this church living today and the fulfillment of these things than there has ever been before. Let's not be desensitized. Let's not be lukewarm, as Jesus says. Let's not grow cold. Amen? The time is now. Does anybody here bear witness with that? Anybody. The time is now. Time for us to go home and say, Lord, we listened to church this morning. I don't want to just walk out of there and I heard another good one and go back next week and hear more about the Antichrist. You know, that's great, you know, in one sense. But, you know, it should be, Lord, before we go to bed tonight, we get up tomorrow morning, get up a couple minutes earlier. And bend your knees before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, Lord, I know now is the time. I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to give the next generation stones for bread, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. You're the one that said, if we asked our Father, how much more would he give the spirit to those who ask? Lord, whatever time is left between today and when you come, Lord, let us undertake that in the power of your Spirit and not in the power of our flesh. Let us be relative to another world and not to this world. Let our cultural relevance be relative to the culture of heaven and not the culture of earth. Let us be distinct and empowered and recognizable. Let us be light and salt. Let's be blood-bought sons and daughters. Let's be lifting our heads and saying, Abba, Father. Let us hear your Spirit saying to us now, now. Now is the time. Now is the time. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. Lord, you, you wrote out the future for us. You, Lord, you put all of the things, Lord, to the page that would be harking to us in the days that we live in of the, the urgency of the hour, Lord. Lord, let it never be depressing to us. Let this be the most exciting time we've ever lived in, Lord. Let the wonder of this fill us, Lord. Let us wake up each day with expectancy, Lord. Let us live our lives like we really expect you might come today, Lord. Grant those things to us. Weed out, Father, of our lives those things that are, Lord, that are not necessary, Lord. 
even if we can justify them and think they're permissible, Lord, but if they're not expedient, Lord, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that so easily besets us, Lord. Let us run this last lap with all of our might, Lord Jesus, for your glory, Lord. Let us cross the finish line, Lord, with our chest out, Lord. Let us run with all of our might now, Lord Jesus. And it only happened by your supply, by your spirit, by your word, by your grace, Lord. We look to you, Lord. We are willing to say, now is the time, and that is all we can bring to the table, Lord. We bow before you, Lord, in your grace and your power. And we come, Lord, no doubt boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need. Fill us afresh, Lord. pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.